Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. All right, we are into this Get It Together series, and we're talking about the one another's in a season where we really can't physically get together. This is more appropriate and prominent than ever before. So, get it together. We, we talked about the term for get it together for the one another's, and it's this Greek term, alelone, and it does not mean all alone. It's not good that man should be all alone. Just read the first part of Genesis, and it comes from these three words, alos, another of the same kind, meta, doing life and experiencing the everyday together, and pros, growing together in relationships as we do life together with other people who are more like us than different from us, one another, growing together. Today, we're talking about two more one another's, and what we're going to look at is forgive and greet, forgive and greet, or we could say it like this, release and receive, or we could say it like this, let go and hold on, which is, is so basic in theory, and then in practice, it gets oh so complicated, doesn't it? But at the end of the day, what is more important, to hold on to the problem or to hold on to the person? To hold on to the fight or to hold on to your family? To hold on to the issue or to embrace the individual? So often we get so stuck in these fights, don't we? And we forget that there's a person on the other end of that fight and that person bears the imago dei. The, the image of God, they're, they're a divine image bearer. And instead of embracing them and welcoming them and receiving them, we end up holding so tightly to the fight, the grudge, the slander, the malice, the gossip. So that's what we're going to talk about, forgiving and receiving. I think, think we need a little humor, don't you? Here we go. Have you seen this before? I think this is the original Our Get Along shirt, Right? Does any family have a get-along shirt? Did anybody grow up with their parents saying, okay, you have to hug your brother and sister. Hug it out. Just hug it out. You've heard that, right? <laughs> the get-along shirt. If you want to use this in your home, I would highly recommend it. I think we should get one for our kids. I can see Reese and Jade wearing this. This kind of looks like Jade, actually. A big shirt. You have to receive one another. The one another is more important than what separates us and divides us. We need one another. The get along shirt. Okay, let's get into Ephesians chapter 4 if you want to turn there in your scriptures. Ephesians chapter 4 and we'll start in verse 17 and dig into this passage. Now I'm going to warn you right off the bat. I have too much content, just like usual. So we're going to see where we get to. Uh, we're going to do a lot of lag work before we actually get into forgiving and greeting, but I think this sets up this whole idea of forgiving and greeting and why we need to do so. Really helpful. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 19. Here's what it says. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of heart, they have become callous and they have given themselves up to sensuality, 
greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I don't know if that seems totally off topic to you, but I hope my kids will forgive me for using this term. Sometimes we just assume people are stupid, don't we? We call them foolish. And we say things like, why would you, why don't you, why would you act like that? Why would you talk like that? And what Paul is saying is, you can't hold somebody accountable to a Jesus standard if they don't know Jesus. Why would you hold the world up to a standard that they don't know? If somebody doesn't know Jesus, you can't expect them to act like they know Jesus. If somebody's never heard God's truth, you can't expect them to live out God's truth. We can't judge the world the way that we judge our brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we know. We can hold ourselves against Jesus because we know Jesus. We've heard the truth, and we're about to talk about that. But the world, if they don't know Jesus, if they don't know God's truth, you can't hold them up to that standard. When you, when you talk to your kids or you talk to you know, a friend or a coworker or maybe somebody who works under you and you say, why would you do that? You know, why? Hey, you know, sit on time out. You're not supposed to. And then my wife lovingly reminds me, did, did you actually tell them they couldn't do that? I don't think you actually had that conversation. They didn't know that. They were just acting in ignorance. You should have told them before you got them in trouble, for something they didn't know they were going to get in trouble for. Do you see what I'm saying? All right. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 20. That's not the way we learned Christ. We know better. Assuming that you've heard about him, you were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, the way that you previously lived. And is corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Doesn't that sound like Romans 12 too? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be renewed in your mind. And I'm missing some uh, parts of my letters here. Put, out, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off the old self, put on the new self, renewed in the spirit of your mind. You know what that means? It means a new level of thinking. It's like a new level of sanctified reasoning. When we come to know Jesus, we put our faith in Jesus, we make him the Lord of our lives, we think differently. We take on his perspective. We take on his mind, his thoughts for the world, his thoughts and his ways of living, his teachings. When we come to know Christ, we should think differently. We should think on a different level, a sanctified level. Not that we're better than everybody else. We just know Jesus. And Jesus changes the way that we think. We get rid of the old self. We put on the new self. I have an old self. And he likes to make his way out in my words and my thoughts and my actions all the time. I have this inner desire that's just natural. It's a propensity towards greed and impurity. And I know you do too, because it's the human sinful nature. It's the old self. 
But knowing Jesus pulls me from that. It forgives me of that. It changes the way I think, and there should be a change in my life. Knowing Jesus changes everything. Now, in preparing this sermon, there was this song that just kept coming back to my head and to my heart, and uh, I'm not too accustomed at pulling out the guitar during, <laughs> during a message, but you know, I knew there wouldn't be a live band here today, and I knew it would be just me, so I think we should shake things up a little bit. But do you know how when you hear a song as a kid, you don't know the significance of it until you experience life a little further, and then you think, oh yeah, those are what the songs meant that I sung as a kid. So this song went like this. Knowing you, Jesus, Knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all, you're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. Do you know that song? And then, I don't know if it's the second verse or the third verse, but just... Just think about what we've been talking about here. It was like this. Now my heart's desire is to know you more, to be found in you and known as yours, to possess by faith what I could not earn, all surpassing. changes everything. And I, I love that, that third verse where it says, my heart's desire is to know you more, to be found in you, to be called as yours, to possess by faith what I could not earn, an all-surpassing gift of righteousness. So when, when we talk about the old self and we talk about the new self, and we look at people who are stuck in that old way of living and we judge them. We say, how could somebody talk like that? How could somebody think like that? Forgetting the fact that before we knew Jesus, that was us. We didn't know any better. And it's only because of this all-surpassing gift of righteousness that Jesus has given us something that we couldn't Earn. It's not based on our performance, but somehow we get this thought that our performance has got us to where we are and other people should be where we're at, but the only reason we are where we're at is because of the gift of God through Jesus Christ. The old self and the new self. 
Here's what the old manner of life looks like. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, the old self, the new self, because we know Christ. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. The old life looked like living a lie, telling lies, being fake, not knowing who you really were. The new life in Christ is telling the truth, knowing the truth, that we were made in the image of God, that we were designed for relationships, that Jesus died to pay the price for us. We're no longer living and telling lies. Now we're living the truth. It's so easy to tell a lie, isn't it? Talked a little bit about that last week. Look at verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Some versions say a foothold to the devil. It's like you're leaving the door open and inviting him in. The longer you hold on to that anger and that bitterness. Anger is so natural and so powerful, isn't it? Before knowing Christ, it's one of the ruling desires in our life and in our heart. Anger. Anger against sin. Righteous anger is a good thing. You can be angry at sin. We should be angry about sin, but we need to love sinners. See the difference? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. If you want to invite the devil to have a heyday, then you should hold on to your anger. You should hold on to your bitterness. You should hold on to your wrath. You should put a post on Facebook and try and find people who are angry at the same thing or angry at totally different things and you can just all share in your anger and feed it and hold on to it and grow it within you, right? That happens all the time. We think that it's going to make us feel better, but really it just gets us entrenched in this clutch of anger and we hold on to it so long it's holding on to us. There was this article put out by Harvard, and it said this, once activated, anger can color people's perceptions. It's like anger glasses, goggles that you're wearing. It helps to form their decisions, guide their behavior. While they remain angry, regardless of whether the decisions at hand are related to the source of their anger. See, I might not be angry at you. I might be angry at this other thing over here that's going on in my life, but I'm going to take it out on you because anger forms my decisions and my behaviors. It's like when I get home from work and my boss, oh, I just so frustrated and I'm just just gnarring my teeth on the drive home. And then I walk in and, and my wife says, Hi, hey, honey, how are you doing? Don't talk to me right now. Well, it's not her fault. I'm angry at this situation over here, but I take it out on the people directly in front of it. And anger colors our perception and our behavior. Anger, part of the former way of life, but not the new life. Ephesians 4.28, before Christ, we were thieves. We thought only of ourselves. The thief no longer steals, but rather let him labor, let him work hard, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Generosity. You see, before Christ, it was all about me. It's a dog-eat-dog world. The, the fittest survive. I'm going to live for myself. But then after Christ... It's all about generosity. 
It's all about a hard work ethic so that we can be generous with the people around us, even to the point of self-denial and putting others first. We've talked about that a lot lately. Life before Christ, life after Christ. Ephesians 4.29. How we talk changes. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You see, before I knew Christ, whoo, I swore a blue streak across the sky. But now that I know Christ, I haven't just stopped swearing. Now my words are for the building up and the encouraging of the people around me. Instead of swearing and cursing and reviling, now I'm speaking life and hope and joy and peace and the fruit of the Spirit. You see, it's not enough just to leave the old nature behind. That's who I was. I no longer do that. I no longer do this. I'm no longer somebody who swears or steals or lives only for themselves. We have to put on the new life. It's not just about stopping this. It's about replacing it with the new life, the life that Jesus died to give us and has called us into, putting on the new self and putting off the old self. Ephesians 4.30. See, God didn't just leave us to try and figure this out and do it on our own. He gave us someone to help us. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, God isn't just looking at your performance, and as long as you keep a certain level of sanctification, he's good with that. He's going to hold on to you and allow you to have the gift of the Holy Spirit. But as soon as you fall below that line, well, hands off, you're done. You need to go through the process all over again. You need to get saved all over again. Well, it doesn't work like that. Ephesians says that the Holy Spirit is our seal, like our stamp. He seals us. He holds on to us. He sticks to us. He clings to us. He does not let go until the day of redemption, the day when we stand in the presence of God in perfection for all of eternity. And we know the fullness of being with God in that place. He seals us. And grieving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit serves many functions. Uh, he's God's gift to us when we trust Christ. Jesus said, I'm going to send you another comforter, right? He's our comforter. He's our advocate. He's the one who comes alongside the paraclete to guide us into safe harbor. He bolsters the conscience that God has placed within us. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, encourages us in righteousness. And the Holy Spirit pulls us from our old ways and guides us into this new life that we have in Christ. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we continue to cling to that old life, when we continue to practice the sin of our former life, we grieve the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't leave us. He's not remaining with us while we hold a certain performance. He's not holding that stick out, waiting to smack us when we step out of line. He holds on to us until the day that we're called home. Look at verse 31. Try and get practical here. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. Just write that list down. That's a good mirror to look into once in a while, right? Be put away from you, along with all malice. Now let me point out two words. Let and put. Let. If you're letting someone do something, who's doing the something? Well, the someone, not you right? So who's doing the putting away in this verse? 
The Greek term here means to take away. It's really hard to take something away that you have your grasp on, isn't it? You can't like take it from this hand and now it's taken away because now it's in this hand. Somebody else has to do the taking and our role is to let them. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to remove that old life from us so that we can fully embrace the new life. And our job is to let go of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. But those things are so juicy, right? When somebody spills the tea and there's just this goosey, jo- goosey gossip, yeah, juicy gossip that you just want to hold on to, right? And then tell the next person and the next person. It's so easy to cling to the former way of living. And the Holy Spirit says, let me take that away. Just open your hands, release it. Let me put it away from you. The Holy Spirit wants to take away your rage, your anger, your backbiting, the way that you yell at people, maybe not to their face, but certainly as you're driving away in the car, right? (laughs) I've had some good yelling sessions like that by myself in the car. The Holy Spirit wants to take that away and you need to let that happen. So how do you release? How do you release the grudge, the anger? What what role does confession play in that that we talked about last week? Look at verse 32. This is our key verse. We finally made it here. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We looked at this verse in our Be a Good Human campaign last fall. Justice, mercy, walking in humility, We talked about mercy. Steve talked at length about forgiveness and this whole aspect of forgiveness. Forgiveness, it's the Greek term charizomai. It's a gift. It's a gift we give, a gift of grace. It's where we get our word for charity, to give a gift freely, no strings attached. I'm not forgiving you if you do this for me or if you change your ways or if you say you're never going to... No, I forgive you. It's a free gift. No strings attached. Now, Paul starts this section talking about blindness, about callousness, about a tough heart of those who don't know Christ. And it's simply because they don't know. They haven't been taught yet. They need somebody to tell them to preach the gospel. But we know what God has done for us, and therefore we have to be tender, kind, and forgiving because we know that God has forgiven us. That's the whole crux of the matter. If forgiveness is giving freely, then the opposite of forgiveness is holding tightly. Letting the sun go down on our wrath and hanging on to clamor, resentment, malice, bitterness, holding on to your grudge, holding on to it, not letting it be taken away by the power of spirit, holding on to frustration, That's the way we used to live before Jesus. Before Jesus, man, if somebody cut us off, if somebody said something behind our back, if somebody talked to us in a certain way, that person's done. Cancel. Cancel culture, right? Just be through with them. Be done with them. You're better without them. Cut ties. Just. But now that we know Christ, and because God has forgiven us our debt, we need to forgive others freely. No strings attached. 
And we could go so far into this forgiveness topic. It's one thing to talk about, talk about what God has done for us, but think about the great stress and anguish it caused Christ as he hung on that cross and said, Father, why have you forsaken me to forgive the sins of the world? Forgiveness isn't easy. It's sacrifice, great sacrifice. It can come at great cost. Thank goodness God doesn't cancel us. Thank goodness God doesn't let go or just drop us if we don't maintain a certain level of performance or something. John chapter 10 and verse 29. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. God's not going to let you go. God is embracing you and holding you. He sealed you with the Spirit. Christ's death and sacrifice is once for all. Your sins are paid for if you've trusted Christ as Savior. God's not going to let you go. Your name is engraved on his hand. He won't let you go. So once we've forgiven, we've given the gift of grace, we've released anger, bitterness, slander, we've allowed the Holy Spirit to put that away from us in this sanctification process, we've changed the way we think, now what do we do with this person? We need to greet them. We need to receive them. We need to welcome them in. Now, the verse we're about to talk about is to greet one another with a holy kiss. And uh, <laughs> my wife jokingly said that she could help with the illustration of that. And I said, no, we're not, not going to do that. But uh, it's kind of it's been the source of jokes for a lot of years, hasn't it? Greeting each other with a holy kiss. And there's, there's a guy on YouTube named Carl Sweater. Is he from our group curriculum, do you know? He's, he's on a channel called Sunday Cool. Instead of Sunday School, Sunday Cool. And he makes, he makes this funny video about church greetings. And he talks about the classic handshake. And then the handshake where you don't get a good connection and it's just kind of awkward. He talks about the awkward hug. He talks about the guy who's always punching everybody in the shoulder, right? A little too hard. And then he's talking about the teaser, like I think of Jason McClellan, you know, tapping on the shoulder and then hiding on the other shoulder. Uh, he talks about all these greetings, high fives, hugs, arm over the shoulder. And then this really awkward greet each other with a holy kiss, right? He's trying to be humorous about that. But, but what does it mean? We have a tendency to be really shallow with this and think like, oh, you know, it, it means I wave to people in the supermarket, right? And I talk to somebody when they're in the line. And that's, that's really good. But I think it goes so much deeper than that. This whole atmosphere of welcoming, hospitality, inviting people in, receiving and embracing people, giving people a place to belong is so much deeper than just a kiss, right? Um, in Romans 16, Paul is sending greeting to everyone in Rome from everyone in Rome. And I mean everyone. Uh, there are 31 names that he mentions in Romans chapter 16. Say hi to this person. Greet that person. Say hi to this church, to this group of people, to that family, to this lady who's been like a mom to me. And he lists all these people. We're not going to get into all these people and how big Paul's social circle was. That's a lot. I just want you to catch some of the phrases that Paul uses in Romans chapter 16 when he talks about receiving and greeting and welcoming people. And then I want you to notice who he's telling them to greet and then who he's telling them not to greet. Okay? Romans 16, verse 1. 
I commend you our sister Phoebe. Beautiful name, isn't it? I don't think we have any Phoebes in our church, but it's a great name. A servant of the church at Centuria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. I want you to catch that, a way worthy of the saints. Help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. All right, I want to look at a few terms here. He says, welcome her. It's the Greek term prostikomahi. It means to receive to oneself. It means to expectantly wait and be open to receiving. When you know that you have guests coming to your house, what do you do? You run around frantically and try to clean everything up, throw it in closets, wherever, and close the door so that the house is ready when they get there. And then when they come, you open the door and say, hey, come on in. We've got coffee. We've got cookies. Sit down. Make yourself at home. Come on in. That's the picture of welcoming, right? A very Atlantic Canadian cultural tradition right there. Come on in. I, th I think of the Beverly Hillbillies. What, who said it at the end of every episode? It was like, y'all come back now, you hear? Who said that? I, I seem to remember that. Uh, the Greek word for stand is histemi, and it's three times in this passage. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Histemi, to stand. Three times Paul talks about three different ways of standing. The first one is when he says, commend. I commend you, Phoebe. Now, histemi, and then it has this prefix, sin. Sin, histemi. It means to stand united to stand with, to stand together. It's like a team. I commend you, Phoebe. She's my teammate. She's with me. I'm with her. We're standing together. And then there's the term help. Help her in whatever she may need from you. That's a big ask, right? Whatever she needs, just help her with it. It's like the good Samaritan when he's talking to the innkeeper. Whatever more you pay, I'll, I'll pay when we get back. It's para histemi. So the prefix para, it means to stand close beside. And there's this idea of being ready. You know when you help your grandparent up the stairs? It's, you're, you're not lifting them. You might have an arm under their arm, but you're ready. And you're close, right? In case they slip, you can just snag them. Or you think about uh, the infant who's taking their first steps. You're close behind. You're not carrying them, but you're close in case they fall. You can help them. Parahistemi, help. And then the third one, she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. It could be patroness because she's a female. Uh, the Greek term there is prohistemi. And pro means over, to stand over, to watch over, to guard over. It's like the mother hen nestling her chicks underneath her wings, right? So you have sunistemi, parastemi, proistemi. Stand with, stand close beside, ready to help, and stand over. All these different pictures of this close, intimate relationship, either protecting or helping ready or partnering with. I think that's pretty interesting. And then uh, Romans 16 and verse 3. First, let me say this. When we were talking in Ephesians chapter 4 and it talked about the old self, every one of those actions was against. Standing against. Standing in opposition to. 
Gossip and slander and malice that's against another person. And all of these pictures that we just went through are standing for someone, standing with someone, standing close beside, standing over. Look at this, Romans 16 and verse 3. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. They risked their necks. Isn't that cool? That phrase is in the Bible. You ever stuck your neck out for a friend? You ever have a friend stick their neck out for you? You ever have a friend risk their life for you? Who would be worth risking your life for? Do you have a name to put in that blank? They risked their necks for Paul. So greet them. And that term greet, it means to salute, to pay your respects, to welcome. It's from the Greek term speo, which is reaching for your sword and clutching it tightly. It's this picture of embracing and holding tightly. When we greet someone, it's, it's like this picture of a hug. A hug is a very Atlantic Canadian thing, right? Come on in for a hug. You ever go to Newfoundland? Hug, right? Come on in, love, dear. Uh, then Paul lists all of these people, and I just want to fly through them here quick. He says, uh, greet the house church. Greet Epinatus, the first convert in Asia. Greet Mary. She worked hard. Greet Andronicus, Junia, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved. Greet Urbanus, my fellow worker. Greet my beloved Stachus, Apelles, who is approved. My kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord. Greet the workers in the Lord. Greet the beloved. Greet those who have worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, his mother, who's been like a mother to me as well. Greet all the saints who are with them. Now, here's what I want you to see. Paul is sending greetings to specific people who are engaged in the mission. All of them. Every one of them. They're serving in the church, in the community, reaching their communities, risking their life for the gospel. He says, greet those people. Receive them. Welcome them. Hold on to them. Partner with them. Stand with them, ready to help and to serve. Ready to help. Open your home to them. Greet them. Verse 16. This is the verse we mentioned. Uh, looks like I skipped it. I appeal to you, brothers. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Verse 16. All of the churches of Christ greet you. Let's talk about this holy kiss business for a second. I think in first century biblical context, that was a fairly common greeting between families. You know, you, you see that Italian kiss on the cheek. It's more of a European thing. We wouldn't do that so much here in Atlantic Canada. Uh, but Pastor Joby Martin, he's pastor of Church of 1112 down in the States, a pretty solid ministry. Uh, he says, the kiss speaks of closeness, intimacy. You got to be close to kiss, right? We don't serve a distant God, he says. John chapter 1, he put on flesh and came and dwelt among us, with us. God is close. When God created Adam, he formed, us, he formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. It says he breathed life in his nostrils. Have you ever seen CPR? Have you ever administered CPR or been in a training? That's pretty nostril to nostril, close and intimate, right? We serve a God 
who is close. God wired us for close relationships. How we greet, how we welcome, how we receive one another is a demonstration of how close and how loving and how intimate God is. But it's not always wise to openly receive everyone. We certainly need to forgive everyone, but there is such a thing as healthy boundaries. Certainly, we need to turn the other cheek. We need to give the coat also. But at the same time, the Bible says we need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Romans 16 and verse 17. Look at this. This is strong language. We're coming to the end of this section, the end of the sermon. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ. I skipped a verse here. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. And then Paul says, avoid them. What could be opposite from greeting somebody and bringing them in? Avoiding somebody, right? Excluding somebody. The term implies bowing out. Yeah, thanks for the invitation, but no thank you. Paul says, look, greet all these people who are engaged, who are serving in the mission of the church and carrying on the mission of the church in their communities, and, but avoid people who stand contrary to the truth. Now, is he talking about the world? Is he talking about people who are still in the former life, who haven't met Jesus Christ, who don't know better? No, I don't think he's talking about them at all. He's talking about people who've claimed the name of Christ, but are standing contrary to the word of God. He says, avoid those people. These people are not engaged in the mission of the church. Instead, they're standing against it. That can be difficult to determine. So here's what it looks like. Divisions, you know what that means? Dixa hostasis, standing against. Paul just talked about commending Phoebe, right? She stood with me, stand by her and help her. She stood over me. These people, they're standing against. Divisions. And then obstacles, it's like a rock in the path that you trip over, a trap that's set for you. And then he says, avoid them. That is strong language. You know, I, I've heard many times, especially in this season, people say the Bible says, include everyone. Nobody gets left out. Well, here's Paul telling the church in Rome to look out for these people and to avoid them. People who've been taught the truth, people who should know better. We're not talking about the people who don't know Jesus. We're talking about the people who do know Jesus, who should know better, but instead are standing against his truth. Avoid them. You know, he even goes further in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He's got to address this sin issue in the church between Christians. And there's this, this wicked sexual sin issue. And Paul says, you need to get this guy. And you need to hand his flesh over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. So that God will save his soul in the end. That is some strong language. Hand this guy over to Satan that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's heavy stuff. We need to be serious about refusing to welcome, to receive, to unite with, to greet the brother or the sister who is willfully choosing to disregard the truth of the word of God. And on the other hand, leading others astray. Romans 16 and verse 18. Such persons do not serve our Lord Christ. They might call themselves Christians. They might say, hey, I attend Faith Baptist Church. 
but they're not serving our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, they're serving their own appetites, and they're using smooth talk and flattery to deceive the hearts of the naive, the simple. Don't be deceived. Do they serve the body or do they serve their belly? Do they serve the mission of the church or is it all about them? Maybe it looks like gossip, slander, malice, anger. I've said this quote before from Jim Ron. He says, you are the sum of your five closest friends. And I think that's really true. If you receive these people who claim the name of Jesus, but stand against the truth, speak contrary to truth, not just once in a while, but habitually, consistently, that's only going to pull you back to your old self and away from the new life, the abundant life that Christ died to give you. Romans 16, 19, our last verse, and then we're going to finish up. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good, innocent as to what is evil. Doesn't that sound like wise as serpents, harmless as doves? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The God of peace crushing Satan. Jesus crushed the serpent's head when he died on the cross and he had victory over sin. But ultimately, one day, we are going to see all of Satan's efforts thwarted and stopped for all of eternity, and there will be perfect peace. It's not easy to make the conscious decision to refrain from fellowship with a brother or sister in Christ who is standing against the truth. Those conversations are so tough. And I would say avoiding a brother or sister in Christ because of this issue is the exception, not the rule. But the question is, before you do that, have you had the tough conversation with them? Have you sat down with them and said, look, I know that when we're together, a lot of times gossip comes up and it turns into slander and it turns into malice and it turns into pride. And these things are not practicing the truth. We can't do this anymore. And if it doesn't stop, you need to stop that relationship because it's not healthy for the mission of Christ. It's not healthy for your sanctification, for their sanctification. And ultimately, it's God who's going to bring peace. Look, I love you, but you have to stop this sinful practice or we're not going to be able to keep meeting like this. If you claim the name of Christ, you can't act like this. And if you're going to continue to act like this, then I cannot keep associating with you and greeting with you and opening my arms to you because it's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for the mission of the church. That's difficult. It's not easy. And it kind of sounds contradictory to this whole idea of forgiving one another. And I guess I'm going to have to leave you with that tension because we're well out of time and I finally made it to my last page. But if you want to talk further on these things, I would love to chat with you about them. I miss the opportunity at the end of the service to greet at the door and, and you'll get one or two or three conversations about the content and dig a little deeper. I miss that. So if you're thinking about this, if this has struck you, maybe it's, it's going against what you thought or what you still think. I would love to chat that through with you. That would be great. So would you reach out, fill out that Connect card, or for the 12 of us who are in the facility, let's talk after the service. Uh, would you join me in prayer as we close the service? God, I thank you for who you are today. 
Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you have forgiven us, that you've removed our sin as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says. We praise you, Father. God, we, we pray about this whole idea of greeting one another and welcoming one another with open arms, receiving one another. God, give us discernment. Give us wisdom. God, help us to always be promoting in our relationships, in our time with one another, in our community, your truth, your purpose, your mission. Help us not to put up with gossip and slander and malice and anger. Help us not to feed into those things, God. I pray in Jesus' name you would bring a stop to all of the gossip, all of the backbiting, all of the terrible Facebook posting and commenting and the things that don't serve your mission. God, give us wisdom, discretion, Give us courage to have the tough conversation when we need to confront a brother or sister in Christ or when a brother or sister in Christ has to confront us because of our sin issue that we've grown blind and callous towards. God, give us the grace and the mercy. Give us the discernment, Father. God, I pray that you would make us the church that you want us to be, God. Help us to be on mission for you and not to get caught up in petty squabbles or divisions. Help us not to stand against one another or to stand against the truth. Help us to stand for one another, to stand over one another, to team up with one another as the body of Christ, to fulfill the mission that you've given us to love the world and to give them your truth. Thank you for how you love us today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.